Please take your Bibles now and turn with me to the book of Judges, chapter 2. Judges, chapter 2. If you're unfamiliar with the order of the books, you will find that in the Pew Bibles on page 369. 369. The angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal to Bochim and said, I led you up from Egypt. And brought you to the land of which I swore to your fathers, and I said, I will never break my covenant with you, and you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall tear down their altars, but you have not obeyed my voice. Why have you done this? Therefore, I also said, I will not drive them out before you, but they shall be thorns in your side, and their God shall be a snare to you. So it was. When the angel of the Lord spoke these words to all the children of Israel, that the people lifted up their voices and wept. They called the name of that place Bochim, and they sacrificed there to the Lord. And when Joshua had dismissed the people, the children of Israel went each to his own inheritance to possess the land. So the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua, And all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord, which he had done for Israel. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died when he was 110 years old. They buried him within the border of his inheritance at Timnath-Heres, in the mountains of Ephraim, on the north side of Mount Gaash. When all that generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation arose after them who did not Know the Lord, nor the work which he had done for Israel. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they forsook the Lord God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. And they followed other gods from among the gods of the people who were all around them. And they bowed down to them, and they provoked the Lord to anger. They forsook the Lord and served Baals and the Ashtoreths. The anger of the Lord was hot against Israel, so he delivered them into the hands of plunderers who despoiled them, and he sold them into the hands of their enemies all around so that they could no longer stand before their enemies. Whenever they went out, the hand of the Lord was against them for calamity, as the Lord had said, and as the Lord had sworn to them, and they were greatly distressed. Nevertheless, the Lord raised up judges who delivered them out of the hand of those who plundered them, Yet they would not listen to their judges, but they played the harlot with other gods and bowed down to them. They turned quickly from the way in which their fathers walked in obeying the commandments of the Lord. They did not do so. When the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge and delivered them out of the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who oppressed them and harassed them. And it came to pass when the judge was dead that they reverted and behaved more corruptly than their fathers by following other gods to serve them and bow down to them. They did not cease from their own doings nor from their stubborn way. 
And the anger of the Lord is hot against Israel. And he said, Because this nation has transgressed my covenant, which I commanded their fathers, and has not heeded my voice, I also will no longer drive out before them any of the nations which Joshua left when he died, so that through them I may test Israel, whether they will keep the ways of the Lord, to walk in them as their fathers kept them or not. Therefore the Lord left those nations without driving them out immediately, nor did he deliver them into the hand of Joshua. So far the reading of God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. One of the things that God has certainly blessed us with here in this church is children. We rejoice in that, for every covenant child is a soldier in training for God's army, a potential means by which he may be glorified and his kingdom advanced. It is my great desire as your pastor to see the children of this church grow up to be men and women who love and serve God with all their hearts. That is surely also the desire of our elders. And that should be the desire of each one of us, whether we have children or not. Some of us never get married. And some of us who are married never receive children. Yet the desire of every Christian ought to be that the church of Jesus Christ be built and preserved by the next generation. It should be your prayer that the children here grow up to be men and women who fully embrace the truths of Scripture and apply them faithfully in their lives. And it is our solemn duty before God to do all that is in our power to set the next generation on the right path so that God will be honored through them. There is tremendous potential right here in this church through all the children that God has given us to proclaim his glory and advance his cause in the years to come. But brothers and sisters, as we consider the future of the church We do well to bear in mind the warnings that we find in the Word of God. Strong warnings concerning those who depart from the faith. Our text for this afternoon is certainly one of them. Judges 2.10 is among the saddest situations in all of Scripture. For it describes a generation of Israelites, covenant people, who did not know God the Lord, a generation of church members who derailed and lost their vision for the glory and supremacy of God. A text such as this one forces us to consider our own priorities, goals, and desires and compels us to consider the question, will the next generation care? The post-Joshua generation became sadly corrupted. They departed from the word. And the result was that the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. And they forfeited the soul-satisfying blessings of the covenant. Consider with me this afternoon the generation that followed Joshua. It was an affluent generation. An ungrateful generation an untaught generation, and an idolatrous generation. It was an affluent generation. 
Joshua is one of those men of the Old Testament who was greatly used of the Lord to accomplish his purposes for the people of Israel. After they wandered 40 years in the wilderness, God appointed him as Moses' successor to lead the Israelites into the promised land. He was born in Egypt in slavery. And with Caleb, he was the only adult Israelite who went through the 40 years in the wilderness to enter the land of Canaan. The Lord used him to bring the people through the Jordan River and into the land which he had promised to Abraham. He led them through many victories and set before them a good example of rock-solid faith in Yahweh. It was under his leadership that the massive walls of Jericho came crashing down. It was at his command that the sun and moon stood still in the valley of Aijalon so that God's people won an astonishing victory. He led the armies of Israel in one victory after another. He enabled the Israelites to inherit the land. And it was under his leadership that they prospered. We read in verse 7 that the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord which he had done for Israel. Joshua died when he was 110 years old. The people were then well established. God had given them a rich and fruitful land flowing with wealth. He gave them great and splendid cities which they did not build and houses full of good things. He gave them cisterns which they did not dig and vineyards and olive trees which they did not plant. When Joshua died, the Israelites in Canaan were comfortable, secure, well-fed, and satisfied. Back in Deuteronomy 6, Back in Deuteronomy 6, before the Israelites entered the land, God warned them not to allow the prosperity of Canaan to draw them away from him. He said, Beware, lest you forget the Lord who brought you from the house of bondage. God said, Don't let the blessings of Canaan cause you to become spiritually careless. Don't let your prosperity make you weak and spiritually drowsy. Deuteronomy 8, the Lord repeated the warning a second time. He told the people that he was bringing them into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. God said, Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments, his judgments, and his statutes which I command you, lest when you have eaten and are full and have built beautiful houses and dwell in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold are multiplied, when your heart is lifted up and you, what? Forget the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the house of bondage. Then you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth. Beware that you do not forget the Lord. Beware that you do not forget the Lord. Congregation of the post-Joshua generation failed to heed these clear warnings. 
Instead of praising God for the wonderful gifts that He had showered upon them, they became spiritually careless. They enjoyed God's blessings, but they failed to enjoy God. They enjoyed God's blessings, but they failed to enjoy God. Their affluence caused them to wander from the one who had loved them. They lost sight of their greatest treasure, the source of purest pleasure. Dear friends, prosperity can be a wonderful thing when it is rightly handled. It could be used for the building of the church and the advancement of his kingdom. But it is a sad fact of history that in times of prosperity, the church has never done well. It cannot be denied that the church is usually more faithful to the Lord under persecution and hardship than she has been in times of prosperity and comfort. We need to bear this in mind and to impress it upon our children today. North Americans are extremely affluent. Despite the challenges of COVID, we still have massive shopping malls, massive amusement parks, massive toy stores, massive theaters. We are a society that spends millions and millions and millions of dollars on entertainment, sports, restaurants, big screen TVs, RVs, vacations, and pleasure seeking. And these things are not necessarily sinful in themselves. Not at all. But we need to ask ourselves, are they making us spiritually lazy and drowsy? There are many professing Christians who are more committed to their cottage than they are to their local church. More committed to vacations, skiing, snowboarding, and shopping than they are to the worship of God. There used to be a room in many North American homes that was commonly called the family room. Now those rooms have become entertainment centers. Numerous children and young people spend countless hours playing computer games, surfing the net, watching movies, and devoting much time to watching professional sports. And sadly, this is true of many Christian families today. In many homes, meaningful family worship is falling by the wayside. Singing psalms and hymns in the home is replaced by video games and sports. In many homes, the family mealtime has almost disappeared and mealtime devotions are practically non-existent. We are a very wealthy generation, a pampered generation. But we should ask ourselves, how is it affecting us? And what are the consequences, dear friends, for the next generation? There are young people today who think nothing of spending a sizable amount of money at an amusement park or buying the latest running shoes. There are those who think nothing of buying expensive tickets to see the big-name sports heroes. And again, I want to emphasize that many of these things are not necessarily evil, right? God grants us liberty within the bounds of his law to enjoy many things in this life. He does not require of us a life of joyless asceticism. But the question is, 
Are we becoming a post-Joshua generation? Or are we producing a post-Joshua generation where the pursuit of earthly pleasure, materialism, and excitement are more important than loving and serving God? More important than pursuing the superior pleasures in Him. Do we teach our children and young people to use their resources wisely for the service of God? Do we teach them to be God-centered rather than self-centered? Do we teach them, as Paul said in 1 Timothy 6, not to trust in uncertain riches but in the living God? Do we teach them, as Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 5, that he who loves silver will not be satisfied with silver? This also is vanity. Do we teach them, as Moses said in Deuteronomy 8, that pleasure and wealth often lead to forgetfulness of God? Do we impress upon them that the pleasures of this life are temporary, but the enjoyment of God is everlasting? The post-Joshua generation had beautiful farms, beautiful fields, beautiful cities, beautiful houses, but verse 10 says, they did not know the Lord nor the work which he had done for Israel. They had everything, but they forfeited what was most precious. Don't we see this in North America today? We are a society obsessed with fashion, entertainment, hockey, football, superstars, parties, and material possessions. And so many are setting at the curb what is most precious, a living relationship with their Creator and Redeemer, the Savior. What do we want for the children of this church? We want them to serve the Lord as that generation which lived in the days of Joshua. We want them to enjoy all the blessings of his covenant love and to know that true satisfaction is, is found in knowing and serving the crucified and risen Christ. Brothers and sisters, the post-Joshua generation was an ungrateful generation. An ungrateful generation. They received so much from the Lord. They were not in slavery as their forefathers. They were not living in the dry, hot Sinai desert. They enjoyed freedom and peace. God had given them rest. He had given them their inheritance and provided all things necessary for body and soul. But that first generation of Israelites who grew up in the promised land failed to acknowledge God's blessings in praise, thanksgiving, and obedience. They were unthankful for Yahweh's abundant mercies, and they were not eagerly anticipating the fulfillment of the messianic promises. They became cold to the things of God and lost that sense of awe, that sense of awe for the one who had given them the land and the promise of a greater land, the heavenly. Congregation, our children must learn to appreciate, to genuinely appreciate the great things that God has done to save them from their sin and misery. 
They need to be taught that without Christ, they are hopelessly lost and slaves to sin and Satan. Without Christ, they have no rest, no inheritance, no freedom. They must learn to respond to God's deliverance in praise, thanksgiving, and obedience. They must not become an ungrateful generation. In 2 Timothy 3, the Apostle Paul said that one of the characteristics of the generation in the last days is that people will be what? Unthankful. Unthankful. When we truly understand what God has done for us in the person of Jesus Christ, when we understand what took place at Calvary, then how can we be unthankful? If we read about the life, ministry, and suffering of our Lord, if we read of his agony in Gethsemane, where he sweat, as it were, great drops of blood, if we read of his humiliation before the high priest, if we read of his cries of horror at the cross and the hellish terror, God-forsakenness that he endured, if we read of the sin that he bore for his people, then how can we be unthankful? The saving works of the Lord should cause us and our children to stand in awe of the one who has given us victory. He willingly gave up the glory of heaven, took upon himself the form of a man, a servant. He bore the burden of God's eternal wrath in your place so that you may, through his death, have access to the glory of heaven. Then how can we and our children be unthankful. Christ has opened the way to the heavenly kingdom. He has provided a way for us to receive an incorruptible inheritance. He's defeated the powers of darkness so that they cannot have dominion over us. Then how can we and our children be unthankful? The message of salvation should fill our hearts with a profound appreciation for all that Christ has done. The congregation, one of the problems in Israel was that the post-Joshua generation was not only an affluent generation and an ungrateful generation, but it was also an untaught generation. Point number three, an untaught generation. Look once again, please, in your Bibles to verse 10. Verse 10. When all that generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord nor the work which he had done for Israel. Dear friends, these words ought to shock us. How is it possible? Did the priests not do their job? Did they fail to instruct the next generation? Are they to be blamed for the, fa the failure in Israel? Perhaps to some degree, part of the problem may have been with the spiritual leaders and shepherds of Israel. That is possible. But brothers and sisters, Moses was very clear that parents, parents have the first and foremost responsibility to teach their children what God has revealed about himself. Moses had said that parents have the first and foremost responsibility to see that their children think correctly about God. 
Dad and mom should be their most influential theological teachers. They are to teach their children about the Lord and his saving work so that the next generation will walk in his ways and glorify his name. In Deuteronomy 4.9, the Lord said through Moses, Take heed to yourself and diligently keep yourself, lest you forget the things your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life, and teach them to your children and your grandchildren. Again in Deuteronomy 6, God said through Moses, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. Listen. You shall teach them diligently to your children. God's design for the preservation of the Christian faith is first of all the family. The preservation and transmission of God's revelation to the next generation is primarily the task of parents and grandparents. The prophet Joel gave a, an excellent and helpful summary when he said this, Tell your children about it. Let your children tell their children and their, chil and their children another generation. Congregation, Solid biblical Christian schools can be a wonderful thing. Solid biblical church education for children and young people can also be extremely helpful. In the past, God has certainly used word-centered schools and faithful church education programs to teach children and young people. But I want to remind you that they are no replacement for the Christian covenant home. Pastor John Sidema once wrote a number of years ago in the Outlook, I quote, I believe with all my heart that the family is a societal unit of first priority, so crucial that not even the best combined efforts of the church and a Christian school can compensate for it if it fails. He goes on, I believe that a preacher can preach till he's got a sore throat, that a teacher can catechize his students until he is blue in the face. But if there is no family support for the teaching, the impact and significance of the instruction will be seriously undermined, end quote. You see, brothers and sisters, it is God's will that parents assume primary responsibility for the biblical and doctrinal training of the children. A godly school and a rigorous church education program can be great assets. But the most influential theological teachers are dad and mom. When our text says that another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord nor the work which he had done for Israel, unquestionably part of the problem lay with a previous generation. Many parents had neglected their God-ordained responsibility. The tragic result was that a new generation forsook the Lord. It always strikes me, it always strikes me when I drive through small towns and villages in Ontario and see old churches in virtually every town, beautiful old churches. I'm sure you've noticed it yourself. In my mind, I go back to the time period in which they were built. At one time, many of those churches were full, and the Word of God was faithfully proclaimed in many of them. 
But today, many of those buildings are practically empty. Or they are used for the retired folk of the community to play bingo. On the Lord's Day, a dozen senior ladies show up for worship. What has happened to the covenant sons and daughters of those churches? What has happened to the young people? And what has happened to the worship of God? Many churches throughout Canada have become social gatherings where the law and the gospel are no longer heard. They have drunk from the poisoned wells of theological liberalism, buckled under the pressures of unbiblical feminism, embraced the lies of the LGBTQ community, and many of them are now a post-Joshua generation. And who is primarily responsible for the apostasy? Is it the liberal seminaries who produce preachers who don't believe the inerrancy of Scripture? Well, they're partly responsible, of course. Is it the elders who were not diligent in overseeing the flock of God and in driving away the wolves? Well, yes, they're partly responsible. But I believe there's something even more basic. Many churches are empty, not only because the seminaries have failed and the pastors and elders have failed, many churches are empty because dad and mom have failed. The fundamental failure is the failure of the family to follow God's design and to fulfill their solemn duties before him. Some of us, some of us have known churches whose young people a good number of them spend Friday or Saturday night drinking excessively at the pub. And when the parents are challenged, the response might be, we don't like it, but, well, young people will be young people. They'll get over it eventually. Someday they'll grow up. And brothers and sisters, like Eli the priest, they fail to call their children to repentance and faith and fail to confront their sin with the word of God. We read in 1 Samuel 3 that Eli's sons made themselves vile, and he did not restrain them. They brazenly broke God's law, and he did not restrain them. Dear friends, may it be a lesson to us that if we are not serious about the vows that we make when baptizing our children, then we will produce a post-Joshua generation, one that does not know the Lord nor the great works which he has done. I really don't think that this point can be overemphasized. It can't be disputed that today the institutions of marriage and family are in a state of deep crisis. It is said that in the U.S., an alarming, an alarming percentage of children will live in a single-parent home at least part of the time as they grow up because of the high divorce rate, separation, and unwed mothers. Child abuse, sexual abuse, teenage pregnancy are all very common in North American culture. Various groups lobby the government for more money to support single moms, to provide affordable housing, to provide assistance for, assistance for victims of abuse. But many are blind to the fact that the root problem is the failure of the family to follow God's design. The family must teach 
and live the precepts of God. And if we do, many of our social woes will disappear. The answer is not more government funding. The answer is a return to the Joshua generation, a generation which served the Lord. The answer is a return to the gospel and the law in our homes. Now, congregation, when our text says another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord nor the work which he had done for Israel, I don't think the problem was only ignorance. They knew about the Lord. They knew about the mighty deeds that he had done for Israel. It wasn't a situation in which the people were completely ignorant of their history. They knew about the Lord, but they did not know him. They knew about his deeds, but they had no regard for them. In 1 Samuel 2, the author described the two wicked sons of Eli who served as priests at the sanctuary of the Lord. And in verse 12 we read, Now the sons of Eli were corrupt. They did not know the Lord. Yes, they knew about the Lord, but they had no regard for him. They did not acknowledge him and love him. So it was for the post-Joshua generation. They knew about him, but they did not know him. Brothers and sisters, as we teach our children, we must not only give them the historical facts of the Bible, but we must not only teach them true orthodox doctrine, but we must also impress upon them the need to acknowledge him personally. And to live in covenant fellowship with him personally. To love the Christ of the covenant. Children and young people, do you love him? Do you love him? Are you living for him? Biblical knowledge alone will not preserve the next generation. It must be a reality in their hearts and minds and applied in their thinking and living. They must love the Lord their God with all their heart. They must know the Lord. Personal conviction. Personal conviction. If they don't acknowledge Him personally, then they will become an idolatrous generation. Point number four. That is what we find in this chapter, an idolatrous generation. Look with me in your Bibles to verse 11. Verse 11. Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals, verse 12. And they forsook the Lord God of their fathers who had brought them out of the land of Egypt and they followed other gods from among the gods of the people who were all around them. And they bowed down to them and they provoked the Lord to anger. The affluent generation, the ungrateful generation, the untaught generation became an idolatrous generation. God demanded separation. 
But the post-Joshua generation ignored God's command and mingled with the Canaanites. They learned their ways, their lifestyle, and their worship, and they played the harlot with their gods. Verse 17. Congregation, God calls you and your children to live as a separate people also today. One old commentator who wrote in the 1800s said this, Our high calling is to be in the world, but not of the world. It is not our being in the world that ruins us, but our allowing the world to be in us. Just as ships sink, not by being in the water, but by the water getting into them. Just as ships sink, not by being in the water, but by the water getting into them. The Israelites sank into idolatry because they did not truly appreciate being God's special people set apart for His service. Brothers and sisters, please consider this. How much of our godless culture is seeping into Christian homes through movies, books, magazines, internet, and so on? How much of our secularized culture is seeping into covenant homes so that minds are corrupted by advertising and anti-Christian propaganda? We need to learn to separate ourselves from those things that are contrary to God's will. And we need to teach our children. We need to teach our children that the more water that seeps into a ship, the greater danger there is of sinking. The more water you allow into the boat, the greater danger you are in. We are in the world, but the world must not be in us. We are the light of the world and must not allow the world's darkness to overcome the light. We have a message for the world and must not be deceived by the world's message to us. We have a great, holy, loving, and gracious God who must be worshipped by the world. Therefore, we cannot allow the false gods of our age to be worshipped by the church. Our children need to learn the antithesis. They need to learn that the world's appeal is deceptive and leads to death. They need to understand that God will not tolerate divided loyalties. When covenant people choose to walk in the way of the Canaanites, they will undoubtedly provoke the Lord to anger. When covenant people become lukewarm, complacent, covenant breakers, they forfeit the blessings of the covenant. When we no longer glory in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, when the message of Christ crucified becomes routine, boring, and dull, then we are in grave danger. And so as we conclude this afternoon, I pose the question, Will the next generation care? Will the boys and girls of this church love Christ more than life itself? Will the young men of this church rise up to be leaders, godly leaders in their home and church? Will they live a sanctified life for the praise of their maker and redeemer?
Perhaps you say, it's all in the hands of God. Yes, it is. You say, only God can preserve the next generation. True enough. It is of God alone, absolutely. But God uses means to accomplish His will, and He has chosen to use covenant homes for the preservation and transmission of His truth. Then let us not see this text, Judges 2, 10 to 13, merely as a negative warning, but let us view it as a positive challenge to raise up sons and daughters of the kingdom. Let us view it as a positive challenge not to repeat the errors of the past, but to strive humbly and prayerfully to raise up a generation through which our Lord Jesus, our Savior and Redeemer, will be greatly honored and praised. May God fill our families with the joy of salvation as we live for Him who is worthy of everything we have. And let us not neglect Lord's Day worship. How vitally important it is that we make Lord's Day worship a priority for our families. Listen, not sports, not entertainment, not hobbies, not vacations, but worship. Worship. If we do not make worship a priority, teaching, preaching, fellowship, singing, if we are not fully committed to worship, then in all likelihood a generation will arise that is not committed to the Lord and we will end up in Judges 2, 10 to 13, an unfaithful, untaught, unbelieving generation. When you study the book of Judges, you see tragedy after tragedy after tragedy because men, women, and children did not know the Lord. Do you know Him? Are you living for Him? Then congregation, by the grace of God, Strive to be faithful in your homes. Gather with God's people joyfully on the Lord's day. Don't be careless or lazy about worship. Show the next generation both by teaching and example that you desire with all your heart to serve the Lord and to exalt Christ. Say with Joshua, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Let us pray. Lord, we sang earlier this afternoon, prone to wander. Lord, I feel it prone to leave the God I love. We are prone to wander. We ask, O oh Lord, that by your word and by your spirit you will keep us steadfast, bless our homes, each and every one. You know our challenges, you know our struggles, you know if there are difficulties in any homes that are represented here this afternoon. You know our marriages, you know our children, you know our grandchildren. We plead with you, Lord, that we may be used 
to impress upon them the need to live godly in Christ Jesus. That they may see in us an urgency. And Lord, there is nothing better than a life devoted to our faithful and loving Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, we're an affluent generation. Cause us to heed the warnings of Moses that we do not forget the Lord. We pray, O God, that we would not be an ungrateful generation. We consider all that Christ has done, that we have an inheritance that is far greater than that which was given to Israel. We have an inheritance that is incorruptible, undefiled, does not fade away, reserved in heaven for us. We pray, Lord, that we would not be guilty of producing an untaught generation. Not only communicating to them the facts of the Bible, but communicating to them the importance of that living, vital relationship with Jesus Christ. Oh Lord, we pray that we would not be guilty of being an idolatrous generation. So many of the gods of our day are, are also finding their way into the church and into Christian homes. Oh Lord, may we Truly, uh, sing the dearest idol I've known, whate'er that idol be, help me to tear it from thy throne and worship only thee. So again, Lord, we ask your blessing upon these, this dear family at the front. Thank you for their desire to live for you. May they be a blessing to one another in their home, but also a blessing to the church and to our community for the glory of King Jesus, in whose name we pray, amen.